Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm so happy that you're here listening. Uh, we did a show last night um, with David Essel, and today we have, uh, we're going to add baseball players to our list of people we've interviewed now. Professional baseball players. This is a new one for me. I love baseball. We've got baseball. <laughs> our base, big baseball family. A son about to play college baseball. Um, and just, oh my gosh, we just love baseball. So what a treat. Uh, we've got former pro baseball player Mark Littell with us. And let me just tell you a little bit about him um, Mark, if I mispronounce things, please correct me because I got it before we <laughs> before we went on the air, and then I I may dro- I may drop the ball here a little bit. <laughs> so hang on. All yeah, right, you're so- all right. Go ahead. We'll all correct <laughs> as we go. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, just interrupt. It's a family show. It's you know it's like you're <clears throat> having a conversation. But um, so right. Mark Lattell, he's a former pro baseball player. Like I said, he pitched in the major leagues for the Kansas City Royals and the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, he was born in Cape Girardeau, did I say that right? But grew up in Lower Boot Hill of Missouri, of the Lower Boot Hill of Missouri, where he started honing in his baseball skills at a really early age. This sounds really familiar to me. Mark was signed by the Royals in 1971, and he was on this personal fast track when he made his debut on June 14th, 1973 in Baltimore. We're going to learn about that. That's got to be a a cool moment, but but overcoming a lot of fear right there probably. And in 1978, he was traded to the Cardinals where he finished out his career in 1982. So we're going to talk a little bit about baseball, but I also want you to know um, a couple things before we get started. Mark's website is marklittell.com. It's M-A-R-K-L-I-T-T-E-L-L. He's also on Facebook and in various social media. He's also written a book, and we're going to talk about that today. It's called On the Eighth Day, God Made Baseball. He's got a couple other books in him, too, but we're going to talk about just this one today. So On the Eighth Day, God Made Baseball. And that's available wherever books are sold. You can go into a bookstore and ask for it, and they'll order it for you if it's not already on the shelf. So you can go to Amazon, uh, whatever. And then also, this is cool, too, he's the inventor of the Nutty Buddy. Uh, That's a protective cup that won top honors from the Industrial Design Society of America. So um, and that's exactly, you know, you're like, what's a nutty buddy? It's exactly <laughs> what, what it sounds like it is. <laughs> I wonder what that is. Right, it's, it's a protective uh, cup it's, for guys. <laughs> so protect, yeah, we're going there. The boys. <laughs> exactly. We're protecting the boys. So, all right. Where do you want to start? Well, God, you, there's, there's so much to cover because... I read your book, Percolate, and I've got my coffee. I've got a bowl cup right here, and I'm ready to go, Elizabeth. And I, I read your book uh, in the last couple of days and things. It's just such an easy easy read, it, and it, it hits on so many points of what I think you and I are kind of a little bit alike. You're, you're dealing with tra- uh, tragedy. You're dealing with duress. You're, you're dealing with all sorts of problems, and you know, say, well, how, how are we going to solve these problems and, and walk a straight line or get out the out the door in the morning to start the car or whatever? There's so much uh, uh, in in uh, I, mine is a baseball book, but it's kind of a life learning book. You know, people have told yeah. me they said because I had a lot of women read my book and they said, oh, I really enjoyed the reading. It's a baseball book, but it's it's such a fun book to read and 
And that's what I wanted was uh, something that would, uh, you know, keep your eyes on the paper and, and let you have uh, some enjoyment rather than too many statistics and things of that nature. So, you know, that's what I thought about it, too. I think one of my favorite things um, is when professional athletes can realize that maybe um, certain people don't have every single thing either about them or about the sport or about every single player, like, absolutely memorized or even completely understand. Um, especially, like, for me, I have trouble, like, when I haven't actually played the sport. Like, I could tell you everything about gymnastics. Um cheered for football and stuff like that. And I'm, and I sure am caught up on my baseball (laughs) and getting better and better and better. But when you haven't actually played it, it's, it's trickier to learn. And especially baseball, I think a baseball is kind of more of a complicated sport. It's, do you agree? I mean, it's, it's just not all that meets the eye. Well, there's 40,000 people that say go to a ball game and maybe 2,500 to 3,000 are actually watching the ball game because there's, it's it, it's like a chess match. It's like a chess game uh, when, when you go out there to see the actual moves and the pitches and what they're actually trying to accomplish uh, with you know taking the ball the other way or throw this pitch at a certain time. And it is you know, there's there's a lot of involvement and in, in things and uh, strategy that go along with it. It's just not you know who's the biggest and baddest guy out there or who's the guy that's got the best stuff today because you're not always going to have your best stuff today. And so it's going to say it, – it, it really tests you when you go between those two white lines uh, to, to go out there and play a, a, a baseball game, no matter at what level. Because the little, the, the little guys are scared to death, you know, and, and they're, you're trying to get them through the fears. Because I coached for 18 years as well and uh, professionally, and I coached in Australia later for four years in Panama, Dominican. But, you know, you see a lot of fear and – you're trying. The one thing I like to do is try to get those kids to overcome fear and, and, and let them go out there and, you know, this is what I've got. This is how I'm going to beat you. And, uh, and, that, and that's all right to do that. So what, it, um, it is an interesting game. No, it's, it's a super cool game. And I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering what got you so interested in it at such a young age. <laughs> well, in my first chapter, I've talked about, you know, it's called Batter Up. And my dad was a Korean veteran. He got shot all the hell in Korea, actually. And uh, my mom and dad are buried in Arlington Cemetery. It's not that they he was in the Marines so long. Uh, he basically got shot up three weeks into the whole campaign that when, when he got over there. And uh, he could never catch me because he got shot in the right arm and then he he got pulled from behind no man's land behind a, a black man and an Indian. Uh, and then uh, he was in a mass unit and then he finally made it to Japan and back on to San Francisco. But, you know, my dad took me up to a ball game and uh, I, I'd never seen a ballpark before because I lived so far out in the country at that time that uh, I just went out and my mom told me to hit rocks, you know, over to the other side and try to hit them to the other side of the road. And she said, you know, stay in the front of the house and don't hit them between <laughs> Uh, toward the windows, uh, the glass and the sand, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I know that feeling. Melt, yeah, sorry. I said I know yeah. that feeling. Yes, yeah, that sand and glass, you know, they, they break. And So anyway, uh, I, I went up there for the first time, and I, I'd never been on a field, and I was just like, uh, I went up left-handed to bat for the first time, and uh, I switched over to right-handed on the second pitch, and uh, I said, can I move back over? There's a lot of people laughing, and, uh, and this guy named uh, Pedro was pitching, and, uh, you know, what, what, a, what a classic name. And so I knew I had to swing, and uh, so I swung, and I got a hit, and everybody shut up, and they quit laughing. And I said, well, I kind of like this. 
this is kind of interesting. So awesome. I, I made a point of wanting to be very good at what I did. And, you know, I, I had the size. I'm 6'3". Uh, I operated at around 210 when I was in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, I threw anywhere from around 95 and up. And But I had a really good slider. And uh, I, I hope it's funny. ESPN calls me three years ago, and they said, uh, uh, Mr. Littell. And I said, uh, and that's when I got, I knew I got I had an intern on the, on the other line. And I said, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I said, and I, he said, well, uh, Mr. Littell, you, you know, your, your record might fall. And I said, what record? And he said, well, you, you, hold, you hold the all-time St. Louis uh, Cardinals record for most strikeouts in any single season by a reliever. I said, really? I said, so who's going to break it? He said, well, maybe Rosenthal. You know, he's he's ability breaking it. I said, well, good for him. Records are meant to be broken. He missed it by three, so I still got it. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. But that's like four scum statistics. I have some off-the-wall stupid statistics where – you know, I lost three games in a 24-hour period, they said. And I said, no, 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 they got it wrong. It was about a 22-hour period. And then uh, I, I won both ends of a doubleheader, you know, against Philadelphia. My arm was killing me. They were trying to find out if I should go on a disabled list that day, and I ended up winning both ends of a doubleheader. Uh, there's just so many factors uh, off the yeah. ball. I met Lou Brock at age 11 when I had a broken foot in the very, very old ballpark before Bush ball, Bush Stadium where I played, not the new Bush now, but old sportsman's, and I was going up the nosebleed section, and my dad asked the elevator guy because uh, the Cardinals' uh, dressing room was on the second floor. So Lou Brock hops on the elevator. I don't know who Lou Brock is. And so Lou Brock's on there, and my dad did, and he said, uh, he said, you're halfway up. He says, you're Lou Brock, right? And he says, he said, yes, sir. He said, we're really glad to have you over here. Uh, hope, hope you have a good career with the Cardinals. Looking forward to to seeing you play. And I said, you know, okay, so what? So 14 years later, I pitch, uh, I'm pitching against the Cubs. Lou Brock uh, is trying to get his 3,000 hits. So he gets 2,099 at the first at bat. And in the fourth inning, he gets 3,000. I get up. I'm the closer. You know, so I'm in, I'm in the game as a closer in the eighth and the ninth. Uh, we're tied two to two. I get the wins. So I got the win on his, his 3,000 hit. And that's, that's just so odd, so odd. It's awesome, though. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. No, I get it, yeah. And I, I love statistics. Like, we comment about that all the time, though, because ESPN is great at statistics like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when they put them on the air, it's like, yeah, it's the whatever <clears throat> for all 21-year-olds who are, you know, it's just like, where'd that statistic yeah. come from? So, yeah, we like statistics. So they're good. But um, I gotta, I have to ask you about Boot Heel for a minute. Where is that? Because I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard of that until I just saw it. Okay, uh, I grew up on the Mississippi River, and it's a very very poverty area. It's it's all farm ground. It's soybeans and cotton and rice pretty much. It used to be soybeans and cotton strictly. New Madrid County, New and most people would say New Madrid, but the Soto came in there, fought a war against some Indians, you know, and they built a big mound and. Uh, so anyway, they called it New Madrid because they thought that was going to be the new capital of Spain. Anyway, uh, there's this great earthquake that occurred in 1811, 1812, lasted for almost three months. It, it uh, backed up the Mississippi River, turned it around, 
and uh, rang, it rang bells in Connecticut. But uh, it was quite an interesting earthquake. It's actually the largest fault in the United States. It's larger than the San Andreas Fault. And we wow. get two to three tremors there a year. Uh, the land is completely flat. It's some of the most fertile farm ground in the United States. It's the second largest drainage district in the, in the world next to the Egyptian Nile. And they moved more dirt there to clean that swamp out than they did the Panama Canal in 1914 to 1928. So it's extremely good farm ground, and it's basically a swamp that I grew up in. We basically also, if you're from the Blue Hill, if you look down at our feet, there's possibility that you might see some webbing between our toes, which makes us run <laughs> faster out there in the swamp. So, <laughs> you know. Anyway, the, the Blue Hill is the six lower counties. It sticks into the Arkansas. That's basically the part Arkansas didn't want. And so if you look at the map of Missouri, it looks like a boot heel. And it's, it. it's close to Memphis. So, so growing up, okay, so you realize you're pretty good at baseball. You're in Boot Hill. Right. There's got to so many people, even in like today's world, like, how are they ever going to find me? I'm here. I, I'm not ground zero for baseball. I'm, you know, whatever. You, right. Do you know what I mean? How, how did you believe in yourself? Did you go from there to, that's a pretty big change to go from there to, the MLB, like, you know, what's, what's the process? How did you deal with living in the city? I know I'm from Bettendorf, Iowa. And right. to me, many going from Iowa to Minneapolis is just, you sure. know, huge. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. So uh, How'd you do well, all I that? Played for, well, I played for a Legion team when I was a ninth grader over in Papa Bluff. We, I had to drive 50 miles. We had a 55 to 60 game schedule. And, and then my brother, who was a year behind me, he, too, also got drafted as a catcher, but he ended up playing at Mississippi State. And so Eric uh, caught me, and we would go 50 miles one way, 50 miles back. My parents would make it over to the games, and usually and uh, at Popper Bluff. My last year was at Blyville, Arkansas, which was uh, right below the boot heel and on its way to Memphis. And I signed... Because a lot of uh, the scouts, you know, they saw us in, you know, you know, better a better brand of ball like Legion was, and we had that many games during the summer. <clears throat> but in high school, three uh, scouts at my first game out in the middle of a there's a cotton field right behind it. <laughs> so, and uh, there's these three scouts there, and they stood out like a sore thumb. And and my first pitch of the season was I knocked this kid this kid out, and he he folds right in front and. Uh, of the plate, I didn't know. My brother was saying something to him. He actually spit on his shoes you know, in, in the squatting position, looked up and said something to him. And he, he ends up, instead of walking around him, he steps over him. And that's, I said, that's when I knew my brother was basically a barbarian. And so, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, so it's, you know, uh, fun times, different, different era of baseball, fun times. And, but uh, I had the whole plate that day and threw one hitter. So that was fun. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. And so, how do you go from keep going if you don't mind? Like, um, well, I got so you're there. I got drafted, yeah, I got drafted in the twelfth round by the Royals, and then I went on to on to uh, Gary Blaylock drafted me, and I, that was the one guy that I did not think would draft me. But at my last game, I threw because we went to state. Here's this little bitty town playing much bigger towns and stuff, but we had like. You know, I think there were like 26 different 
scouts there, you know, doubled up sometimes from different teams. There was only 26 teams at the time. And uh, <laughs> so I got, I eventually got drafted and Gary signed me. Gary said, hey, Mark, you can go to Billings. I did uh, Billings, Montana, so that was in the Pioneer League. And uh, I was the only guy from the Midwest. I was extremely more Southern voice than what I'm talking to you with right now. And it was kind of like, hi, I'm Mark Littell. Where are you from again? I'm from Gideon, Missouri. <laughs> so I was expecting so, you to sound like too, just so you know. <laughs> right. You, got, you yeah, and Coach Cagle well, need to get I, together. <laughs> he's got, right, he's well, got I cleaned it feathers. up just for, just for your show, Elizabeth. I it's cleaned all good. It up. <laughs> and so, so anyway, these California guys are sitting there saying, "Is this dude for real?" And so, and back then, about seventeen, they had, you know, they smoked and they had, you know, the sand pits, and some of the guys chewed, and I didn't chew or smoke. I didn't even drink then. But even if if we if we won a ball game after the game, we got two cans of beer. So the college guys were always, you know, you know, kind of divvying up, trying to get me to give them their beer, give me my beer away. So, you know, <laughs> so they passed out, you know, some pretty cheap beer. And uh, but we were in Billings, Montana, and I loved it up there. Uh, I didn't pitch until the sixth game. You got rode real hard. There's five high school guys on the team, and the rest were all college: UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, the whole nine yards. And they always gave us a bunch of crap. Well, the only guys that made it were three high school guys and one college guy to the big off, off of that team, and wow. it was extreme. And uh, so I, uh, it was just uh, uh, a, a great a great time to go to rookie ball. Rookie ball is the best time that you're ever going to have because that's your first year and you're trying to feel your way. Well, two years later, I end up in the big leagues because I'm actually trying to separate myself out of the pack. That's the name of one of my chapters. It's called separating yourself from the pack. And there's a doctor named Dr. Bill Harrison. He has three books out now called, you know, you know, Focus, uh, Focus to Be a Foe, Pro, Focus to Be a Hitter, Focus to Be a Pitcher. But he works with the Giants right now. He works with a lot of teams, actually. And uh, he got a hold of me and actually George Brett. George and I signed the same year. George, you know, the Hall of Famer and uh, a third baseman. Yeah. And George and I, the only thing, when George came through the door in Billings was, I, I didn't see a surfboard. I said he probably parked his surfboard right outside the door. And then he came through in uh, like a swimming suit type of thing, you know, uh, these leather little sander, sandals uh, made in India type things, and then a, a torn T-shirt and a salty El Segundo baseball cap and with, with you know, blonde hair, you know, uh, all you know flying all over the place. And so <laughs> – George, George and I ended up hitting, we hitting off. We we ended up hitting off really good because he was totally office. He was a surfer beach boy. I was a redneck from Missouri. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, do you think to be? You're gonna to have to help me with this question a little bit because you you hint at it a little bit to separate yourself mm-hmm. from the pack. Do you mm-hmm. have any? How do you think you really do that? Do you think? Um, seems like there's just a there's a lot of people who want to you know be you be a pro yeah. baseball player you know, every, every little kid dreams of that <laughs> you know how uh, how do yeah. yeah how do you how do you separate yourself from well, the the pack there's got to be some talent that's involved that's a great that's really a, a great question i mean it, i mean it's a question a lot of people ask but it's also a great question just because well, you just don't go out there and you say, well, I worked hard. Well, you've also got to work a little bit smart. And 
when you're ADD, and back in the 60s, 70s, they don't know what ADD is, but they say, hey, this kid's really nice. He's a good ball player, but he's, yeah, he's a little screwed up, you know. So, I mean, everybody's watching the blackboard, but I'm watching the ceiling fan, and you know, I'm counting the turns on the ceiling fan. So, but how can you get me to focus? And I said, I wanted something so bad. If you want something so bad, you're going to do it because you're going to end up trying to focus. With... So Dr. Harrison actually taught me how to focus, and I took to it, and I took it between the lines. So I actually wanted to do it. I was, I was aware of it, and, uh, you know, there was no fear involved. Uh, it took the fear away from me. Uh, matter of fact, when I was in the big leagues, when, once I got a little bit comfortable after the first pitch, after I threw my first pitch in Baltimore, I became comfortable again. And uh, probably when I was closing out ball games, and you're in 50, 60 plus ball games a year, being on a mound was the most comfortable place for me to be. I enjoyed that the most of anything. You, yeah. You would be so you'd be so tired. Uh, you'd be flying from Pittsburgh to Chicago, and you'd ask the uh, the flight attendant stewardess back then. You'd say, you're so tired, you look up and she, and you say, uh, hey, uh, wh- where, where are we going? She said, Chicago. Or, or she'd say Pittsburgh, and I'd say, oh, okay, Stargill, this guy, this guy, this guy. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> so, wow. You know, I, didn't really, I didn't really keep up with it sometimes because you're, you're playing 162 games. And I'm, I'm run out there so much as a pitcher sometimes, you really don't care. You know, it doesn't matter who you're throwing against. So you're just uh, – so you bring back the focus immediately, and uh, and you work at getting that. It takes a it takes a little bit of effort on that person's part to do that, and you have to be a little bit alert uh, about what you want to accomplish. I do I do write my goals down. I think that's a major major thing is to write your goals down, short range and long range, and adjust those goals. It was just like you said. It was uh, your book was funny, to, fun to read. I'll tell you why because it was just a lot of the stuff that took me into the big leagues. It just brought back a lot of memories to me. Really? And yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt. Well, I see a lot of funny thing. in your book too. I mean, there's there's a yeah. lot of uh, it's it's just hard to to have a dream and and go for it. It it's not easy because um, I. I love what David Essel said last night. It's I've been saying it all day to myself. There's an element where you really have to do a lot of things you don't necessarily want to do to push yourself. You yeah, action. That's adversity. That's adversity. You're, you're, you're constantly dealing with adversity. Come any form of adversity to make things work. I think. I think at times we want to give up, but if if we see this light at this end of tunnel, I know that's a cliche. Is it's crazy, but. There, there's right. a lot of truth that you've got to look at that light out there and say, where am I? Because there's going to be a lot of people knock you down. <clears throat> people are going to say, you can't do this. And no, I can do this. I remember uh, you saying can't. And I remember uh, when I was in band, my uh, I, we had a really good band teacher named Jim Beersley, and he said, Somebody says, "Well, I can't make this this particular note," and he says, "What? No, you can make that particular note, and you know, you, you can do this. So you have to actually, you know, uh, re- reprogram yourself, you know, 
for a little bit more positive upbeat here because there's going to be a lot of people mm-hmm. beat you down along the way. I mean, really. You know, yeah. they're, they're trying to do yeah, something. I and, I've been called and so many things. Even with this, oh, I yeah, can't imagine what you. that's like at yours at that level. Oh, yeah, I've been called like probably about five years ago. People are like, what do you want to do that for? You're just a washed-up soccer mom. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> You know, and then two years later, I'm like, I'm signing a book deal. Sorry, I am not a washed-up soccer mom. There's more in me. I may be 47 years old now. And I just remember that comment. I'm like, oh, no, that's not who I am. And so the self-confidence part, here's what I love about you. And just in talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better, there's no, like, arrogance factor to you. Um, that is, I think that's my favorite thing about people when you meet people and they've done something professionally, done something awesome, whatever it is, you know, they've achieved something and there's no arrogance to them. You can actually sit down, have a conversation and learn from them. And they're open to teaching you and mentoring you and going, you know, I, I just absolutely love that about people versus if you meet somebody and they're like, well, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. And don't, you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, Oh, no. really? I'm sorry. <clears throat> I I, I, I tend to veer away from that. One thing is you're not going to learn too much because they're not going to let you learn too much because they don't want to teach. They don't want to teach. And it's like when I became a coach, you know, the best thing I ever heard was was the guy that signed me. He was the 85 uh, pitching coach for the World Series for the Royals when they won it. And he also signed me. And I said to Blaylock, I said, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go into coaching. He says, I think you'll do. I think you'll really like it. I also think you'll do a really good job. I said, well, thanks. I said, okay, give me a plan of attack here. He said, first of all, you know, get back, set, set back, and get a lay of the land. You know, first, but just don't go out there and charge in. I said, just kind of watch, watch what is going to go on, and then you're going to, you're going to speak up regardless. He said, but you know, for a year or so, just kind of get a lay of the land. After about five years you'll have a plan of attack. Of, you'll, you'll have your own plan. You know, you'll have developed your own plan. And yeah. so you, you, hang, you hang with the best, you know, and to say, okay, why are these guys successful? You know, what, what makes them work? You know, and baseball is such a small world. I mean, yeah, I've been interviewed for a couple times for a big league coaching job, but the thing about it is, is yeah, you have to have a sponsor. I knew that was short-sighted. But, you know, the other place that I enjoyed, I, I, I loved, you know, uh, being around in rookie ball because I, I'd been double-A, triple-A, I'd been a coordinator, you know, hiring, fire and stuff like that. But, you know, I liked rookie ball because you could make an impression on those kids coming out of college or high school. Yeah. And it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was really fun. And I learned yeah. from them. You, you're, it's a constant learning stage anyway, this whole life, this whole life we're in. So, I mean, yeah. uh, people I th- have a I, lot to say. Yeah, I think that's the coolest thing. Um, I can tell you, my our child, uh, one of them, Cam, um, he was very, very ill as a kid. His first three years of life were not easy at all. And so mm-hmm. for him to be doing what he's doing fascinates us. So my husband and I talk about it all the time. We're like, really? Of all, all four of them, that's the one who's going to go play college baseball. All right. Well, you know, and to what he has taught us so much. Um, I, I, I ask him every once in a while, I'm like, Cam, can I use that on best ever you? And he's like, yeah, don't just don't use my name. I'm too young you know, or whatever. And I, oh. and, and I, I, just some of the focus and, and um, goal setting and things like that. He's, he's taught us. And I don't mean he sits down and says, parents, let me teach you something. We just, if you just sort of 
poke your nose around with your eyes and ears open, you see him doing things that are constantly improving. And it's just kind of a cool thing to watch. I don't know. Um, it's, you can just tell when you're, um, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to articulate, but I, you probably know exactly what I'm saying. Cause you know, you've, you've lived this. Well, there's, there's things you, there's things that you see that you need to do on your own that sometimes yeah. people can't really tell you, and you've got to you've got to put your first step forward. And I say, kind of, it's okay to step across the line and change, because you know you talk about change, and I think change is sometimes a good thing, and 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 change is evident a lot of times because it's just going to have to happen. It's just how are you going to approach it? A lot of kids won't accept change. And for whatever reason, uh, point. The, new, the new millennials with all the technology, they say, well, this guy says this, this guy says this. So they're, they're getting an overabundance of, of uh, articulation uh, of, of how to do something. Well, he said to do it this way, or he said to do it this way. So they're, they're getting so much uh, information uh, that they, they really can't focus on one way to do it that might work Got for it. them. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of like your nut thing too, you know. Uh, allergic to the nuts, you know. You're trying to overcome that. You don't overcome that. You just sit there and you say, "Don't eat nuts." And yeah. uh, there's certain there's certain things you don't do, you know. Do you, you know what's been really interesting about um, this is this is part of you know kind of what I teach about change and things like that is, you know, sometimes you get you get dealt something like that and you're like, well, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have this go away. So how am I going to, you know, deal with it? And you can either sort of go down neg- in negative mode or you can go all positive on it, but the positive works, but you've got to have some action with it too. And so I'm like you, I'm a big believer in, in goals, but I don't wish my way through things. That's for certain. I don't, I don't sit and go, you know, I wish that I did this or I wish I did that. I, I actually write it down and say, I'm going to do this and here's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I'm pretty focused like that and fairly determined and fairly consistent with the whole nut thing. Um, if I can, if I can borrow your ears for a second, I, I really felt like a huge victim for a really long time. And it's a, it's a nut allergy, you know, it's, it's, sure you, you know, it, yeah, no matter what, I just, it's my little thing that made me feel like a victim until I sat there with my dad in a stroke rehab facility and um, they were doing this uh, test on him about whether he could speak in, you know, had any kind of speech or memory to him at all. And he rattled off this inspirational series of words, the alphabet, you know, starting with aardvark, which was peculiar, but then he was like benevolence, courage, determination, excellence. F was a swear word, you know, and all this stuff. And yeah, F was a serious swear word, but you knew he was there. You knew he was going to do everything in his power to survive. And, um, you know, he's still alive to this day after a really bad things that people would die from in 2004 and he that that adversity so why i'm ta- telling that story is i'm curious you know you and you say you have things in in common like that um not a stroke or anything like that but i mean what i'm knocking on everything what um what adversity have you overcome and i know the answer to this because i've read a lot of the book and stuff but could you share with us some of the things that you overcome and have overcame in your life so that well i've had, people, I've had in my, yeah. i don't know if it's this or in this one or not, but i i had arm surgery twice actually 
and I overcame yep. both of those. The first one uh, actually made me way good, and then the second one, you know, I, I fought for about a year and a half, got to the big league level, you know, and the, and the arm just wasn't there anymore. But I did fight, and you have to have uh, – you not only have to have a, a good uh, person that knows what he's doing, how to fix this thing, but you you got to be the person to say, hey, I'm going to make this back. So yeah. and you know there's going to be some downtime. There's going to be some serious struggles, and uh, and you already you already know that there's going to be some big pops and say, well, oh, what was that? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, a ligament a ligament let out, and you, you know, oh, it feels better. Okay, but uh, you know that that was scary. The the fact that I gave up a major home run in '76 <laughs> in New York to Shambles. Uh, you probably haven't got to that yet, but. You know, they play that every day on the Yes Channel, uh, Yankee Entertainment Station. Uh, to this day, 40 years later, they, they play that. And I get asked that about still twice a week, oh, you're Mark Littell. And I say, yeah, I'm Mark Littell. And I said, oh, you're, you're the guy that gave a home run out to Shambles? I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so, you know, so, I don't, <laughs> so that's got to I mean, be great, especially when you're a little kid, I you mean, know, when you're younger and don't know how to deal with that. It's like, oh, no. Well, yeah. you know, they—they they, uh, if you look at the film and uh, you go back to it, it's, uh, they didn't know if they were going to have a World Series there because they, they tore the whole field up. Shamus couldn't even get back, almost couldn't get back to the dugout. I, nobody touched me that I came off the I only gave up one home run the whole dang year, you know, yeah. and then that one. And then, uh, you know, Cosell's calling it, and he says, yeah, Mark Littell, a big, strong country guy out there. I hadn't given up but one home run all year. <laughs> Do you know, I was going to I, I was gonna go this whole interview without asking you that. Do you know that? <clears throat> I was going to go it. this whole interview without asking you that. Yeah. <laughs> Sonny, I was going to give you a break. Um, but so I think it's important that's to bring it up, though, work. because, because sure. you know, there's a, there's a moment that's not so perfect. Um, well, and, yeah, well, they didn't and, know, you know. Yeah. And people, but you, you, you know, as far as I can tell, you're breathing and you've done awesome things. So. Well, they didn't, what, they didn't know. They didn't. Well, I think the Royals at one point, they didn't know if I was going to really make it back, you know, mentally uh, to say, golly, he's 23 years old. And, you know, he's, he's, he's been, he's been through a lot of crap already with arms and, you know, now this, he had a great year. He, he ends up being the pitcher of the year that year. I mean, I'm not bragging about it. It's just I got to be the pitcher oh, of the year, and, and I got I got some MVP votes. But uh, I mean, this thing is—is is, is he going to be able to bounce back and actually play baseball? You know, pitch. And so we did. Uh, of all things, we were playing. Uh, uh, we opened up in Detroit, and we opened up with the New York Yankees at home. I mean, how about that? The, the schedule was <laughs> done go. three three years in advance. And you know, and and. I mean, it's just like it's just like uh, it's just like Forrest Gump statistics. I, you had to be at the right place at the right time for all these things to surface. And so, anyway, I get an opening night game. Split Orf goes in there. I come in on the ninth inning. I end up throwing four uh, four and a third innings and of no hit ball. We finally get the win in the third. You know, so I guess I'm kind of okay. So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that goes. I, I, reco- I, I, I recovered. You know, <laughs> I, I took that magic pill. Exactly. But, uh, if you want something bad, win, right? Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, you know. And well, and you're playing the Yankees in here. Yeah, I want to, I, I want to stick it back at you. So, yeah. But it's it's interesting stuff, and there, there's always a lot of question marks. I think in people's lives, 
you know, because once you move out of the game, because I didn't do anything, I haven't ever mentioned this, I didn't do anything for six years because uh, I actually still worked with kids, but I wanted to get back in the game. Eventually I did step back into the game and wanted to coach. Uh, I worked in the front office for a while, didn't like that. But uh, beside the point, I stepped back into the game, and that's where I should be and where I am. Uh, I came up with the nutty buddy on the spur of a moment, you know, things. I get people asking me, uh, these little engineers, and they're, they're clapping and watching these statistics, you know, when a bullet hits a, one of my cups because we got a ballistic cup that catches, uh, it'll catch a 9 millimeter. I said, well, I can do that. And they said, no, Mark, we don't need you to do that. I said, well, I caught it, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and all these little engineers are sitting around there clapping, and they walk up to me and they say, are you an engineer? And I said, no, I'm a redneck from Missouri, southeast Missouri. <laughs> Really so funny. Form follows function, pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, form follows function, is that what you just said? Yes. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's awesome. I, okay, hang on. I'm going to back you up just again for a second. And just, mm-hmm. so when you, this, all, I, I always want to ask, if I, if I, you know, I've never had the opportunity, so I'm going to ask you. And I always want to ask a professional baseball player, you know, the day when you don't, you you really are no longer playing. You decide, somebody decides for you, whatever, whatever happens there. What's, mm-hmm. what is that moment like? And what's the next day like, week like, month like, year like, years? Where do you, where do you go when it's something like that's all you know and do? And how do you avoid depre- getting depressed and all that stuff? Because it's got to well, be not know, happy I, in a way. Well, I do, I do deal with depression. Oh. Uh, you know, and I, but I still, you know, fight because I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and 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 I have fun, and I, I I'm working with kids. I don't have children. My children are the kids that I work with, and I I enjoy that, and those kids know that because I'm kind of a passion from the heart type of guy when I coach and I teach, and they they have fun with me and I have fun with them. But when I when I mean something, sometimes I'll they say, oh well he's he means it this time. So, but uh, you know, uh, you a, a kid can't learn under fear. You know, so you you try to make it as enjoyable as you can. And I know I I didn't answer your whole question there, but I'll tell you something here. I was in Chicago, and Glenn Brummer asked me, one of the players, when uh, we had won it uh, that year in '82. I'd only pitched 16 games that year, and. Uh, Brum said to me after one of the game, he said, hey, country, you want to go out and, uh, you want to go out and, uh, you know, eat tonight? And I said, go out in town. And I said, no, I think I'm going to pass this time. I, and I, and a lot of times I usually ate by myself. I didn't, I didn't go out. But anyway, I said, I said, nah, I said, I think I'm actually going to get released tomorrow, you know? And they said, no, you're not. And I said, yeah. Yeah, because I haven't pitched in a while, and I think I'm running right through waivers right now, and nobody's claiming me. So I was right. What's that mean? And Whitey Herzog. Well, when you go through waivers, when you go through waivers and nobody claims you, that means no other uh, organization wants to claim you as a player. Got so, it. Okay. And and uh, so the Roy- uh, Cardinals said we don't need Mark because we think we have somebody that can replace him and. Uh, or, you know, do a trade or whatever. But whatever the reason, uh, I was expendable. And uh, so, anyway, I came into the park the next day, and uh, everybody uh, was kind of getting dressed, and Whitey called me in and said, hey, 
Whitey was a good friend of mine. I had him with the Royals and, and the Cardinals, and he was a Hall of Fame manager. And he's a, he's a very class act guy. And uh, and uh, Whitey called me. He's a friend. He was a friend. He said, hey, he said, hey, country. He said, air. Because he called me airhead. He said, <laughs> air. I said, yeah. I said, uh, he said, hey, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna you know put you we put you through waivers and you know nobody really wanted you. What I but what I'd like for you to do is go back down to AAA at least and you know still make it try to make a go of it. He said it's been a good ride. He said you've helped me a lot and you know it wasn't one of those times because I was a little bit prepared for that meeting you know the night before because I you know you could feel it. Yeah. And, you know I knew the, I knew the business. You know, uh, you don't know the whole business, but you know, I, I knew the business enough to say, "Hey, this is probably what's going to happen," and it did. So I got a flight back to St. Uh, St. Louis. Uh, I left the park, got a flight back. They, you know, then I went out to see Doctor Job just to see, "Hey, is this, is this pretty much it? My arm's pretty much the way it is." I wanted a second opinion again after he did my last surgery, and so. He said, eh, it's, it's pretty tough, Mark. And so I went down to AAA and I threw it again. My arm was killing me, so I pretty much stepped to the side. And yep. so, see, my thing is I didn't have a college education, and I still don't. I have two and a half years. I never finished it. And that's always bothered me. But on the other hand. So we're going to fix that, right? <laughs> well, I didn't yes. fix that. Well, I didn't <laughs> fix that because I got so busy because I started doing a lot of this baseball stuff. Uh, yeah. And I started doing my own things and, and, and a lot of other stuff, but I was actually too busy in a sense. I know it does help, but I don't think it would help me because I'm kind of a uh, my own child, you might say. And, <laughs> I am uh, too. <laughs> you know, I kind of do kind of want to do my own thing a little bit, and and yeah. uh, but you know, and then when you're needed, but so I came up with the nutty buddy. That was fun, and uh, you know, it it it's take it's taken some traction, and then. Uh, you know that came out of the clear blue, and then you know, you know the guy. T- everybody's been bugging me to write a book for 25, 30 years. They said you should write a book. You should write a book. I said, yeah, well, I'm ADD. Well, two and a half years ago, I started writing, and I, I found it kind of relaxing, and I, I started putting these sentences together that ran together. <laughs> and so, but the people who got the book and started, <laughs> the people who got the book Sorry. and started editing it, they said, you sound like Mark Twain. Uh, you know, I said, well, he's a crazy SOB out of Missouri too. You know. <laughs> And and so he said, you know, Mark Twain writing a baseball book. And I said, well, that's 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 kind of it. You know, that's kind of the way Whatever. it is. All works. Yeah. Once you find your voice, if somebody likes it, more power to them. And if they don't like it, hey, that's, you know, tough stuff. <laughs> Move on. In the book I turned into Hay House. <laughs> they were like, yeah. Uh, I'm like, yeah. no, no, seriously. I'm like, because you know, you think you you, you think you're. You got it. You know, you've got found your voice. Yeah, yeah, you've written right. what you want to yeah. write. You turn it in, and they're like, um, <laughs> they re- they yeah. took like, two, they went through three revisions of my book, and I remember there was one point where I was like crying on the floor <laughs> in this office, like <laughs> I don't know how to do this, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I got like no, no, it's all the time, you know, because you're sitting there and you're you're trying <laughs> to write and you're trying to finish this thing, and 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 uh, okay, I think I I got this chapter right after six or seven times, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, really. No, yeah. I you get yeah. You, you give it to other people to look at and they're sit there you know, read this and they say, Oh, this is really good stuff, but you you got a few run on sentences. I said, Well no, 
yeah, yeah, you're right. I do. So I said, let other people fix that. I said, I'm not into fixing those things. So, yeah. Yeah. I had part. Uh, I remember. I remember Hay House was like, I, I said, no, you don't understand these. These drawings of mine have to go in the book. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, no, seriously, it all makes sense. Because, you know, you just send the drawings and, like, what is this crap? And they they were nicer than that, but, it, you know, it was really like, I can't draw. And I said, no, yeah, it has to go in there to illustrate. I said, holy, yeah, yeah. I said, holy cow. She, well, you know, she, she's not the Rembrandt or anything, but here we go. <laughs> They're <laughs> I so said, bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'd probably do the same thing. You, you probably yeah. draw better than I do. But I'm just saying, well, good. Well, it, I think both of us are trying to make a point that, you know, to even just remotely do anything like write a book or whatever it is, you're going to make <laughs> a lot of mistakes. Okay. It doesn't come out perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's pretty they were trying to, Well, they were trying to figure out whether they should put the baseball part first or the the farm stories, you know, first or the coaching, which should always go last because it's, I, I was coaching in Australia with some aboriginals, and I even went hunting with them barefoot. That's when they really liked me a lot. Because That's cool. Here's this redneck. Here's this white dude out here with these tremendously black black people that and they speak perfect uh, Queen's English, and now he wants to start running around, you know, half half ass naked with them, you know, barefooted. <laughs> so, it's a vision. So there, in, there. So there we go. And That's when they really liked me, though. <laughs> yeah. Did did um. <laughs> you um you played uh baseball in places like Puerto Rico yeah. and the Dominican Republic and and all that what's that like? Yeah. Uh that's pretty big uh, now too. I played I, I played in Puerto Rico, I played in Dominican, just an exhibition game, but I coached in Dominican and then I, I did some stuff in Panama. Panama's gotta be the hottest place I've ever been. Uh Puerto Rico was uh wonderful. I played there for uh Winter ball in Arecibo. It's a small town, and it's uh, it's about two hours west of <clears throat> San Juan. And uh, I was 20 years old at the time. I was 20 years old when I went to the big leagues. I mean, they didn't even know who I was. <laughs> this is something else. It's really weird. You know, I didn't even go to big league camp because I had, uh, you know, Dr. Harrison uh, helped helped me focus, and all of a sudden I'm getting it. And uh, I went to spring in, it went into spring training, and Lou Gorman and John Shareholt, who has is in the Hall of Fame as of this year now uh, as a general manager, just got elected, uh, was the assistant farm director. And he said, uh, Mark, why don't you go to AAA field because we need a picture of you and you're always ready to go. And I said, yeah, thanks. So uh, I hit I 27 innings right there. And Lou Gorman told the, Harry Lomberg, said, no, you're not getting Mark Littell, Mark over here. He's going to go to AA. You, you'll see. He'll, he'll, he'll falter. Well, I didn't falter because I was using – uh, my visual, visualization techniques, and uh, before you knew it, I was uh, in AAA with with Harry. I was right there. I went, I broke, and went to Omaha. They wanted me to fail, so they opened me up in Denver, and uh, I, I won. I won like four to four to one. I gave up a home run that was the longest one ever. Guy Cliff Johnson, a big a big guy, just you know golfed the living crap out of it. Like he had five iron out there, and. Uh, you know, he was touching base when the ball was starting to peak. and But that was, you know, oh got off me. And then uh, the score, I, I, and I ended up being 9-1 and one by June 8th, and they had to do something or somebody was going to claim me because I did not go to big league camp. And they said, who in the world is Mark Littell? Well, we have to bring him up to Baltimore. 
and he's going to start. So I, I did. I, I did well in my first one, and then I, I went back to Kansas City and uh, uh, opened up uh, there, and I found out what real baseball was like with the Oakland A's because they'd won three out of five World Series. And uh, that's when I signed the balls wrong. I don't know if you got that part or not. <laughs> I did. But, uh, you have to tell me yeah, what's that mean? Well, you got to explain that. I signed, I, yeah, well, I signed the balls on the sweet spot, and that that was reserved for the manager. And I said, well, this looks like a really good spot to sign. Because I only four, <laughs> signed about four baseballs up to that point. I was in rookie and A ball and a little bit in triple I didn't know what to do. And so anyway, everybody just left them home because when they walked up the tail with all the uh, veterans were sitting there. They just snickered and walked back to the lockers. And Jack McKeon, he'd come out smoking his big, big old turd cigar. And, you know, he had bifocals on and he had his hands in his pants. And everybody said, hey, Jack, you need uh, one of the coaches. It already got back to the coaches, which, uh, and they, their their lockers were right when he came out the door. And Jack, they said, hey, Jack, you need to sign the balls. And he said, I'll get to him in a minute. And one of the coaches, and then the other coach says, no, Jack, you need to go over and sign the balls now. And so he went over and he looked at the ball and he said, what the, and then he said, country, he said, you you like signing baseballs? And I said, sure do. And he says, well, if you want to continue to sign them, don't sign them on the sweet spot. So he said, that's reserved for me. And then he just shook his head and walked away. And you've got to read that in the book, which is kind of funny. Uh, and they, so uh, funny. The, bad boys came, the bad boys came in and raked off all four dozens of baseballs, you know, and I'm sure they were using them for batting practice. It said Mark Patel on them, you know, so. Oh, yeah. You know, and then in reality, is there like, is is does it end there or do you end up, you know, r- running laps later? <laughs> is, there, is there a real punishment that happens for that? Or no, is it just, we, you know, we don't do that, on? You know, <laughs> No, I just wondered if that really. Yeah, we don't run laps in pro ball. We just, they just send your, they just send your ass down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, back to AAA. <laughs> back to AAA. So, there you go. So I, so I spent 30 days there. That's why I could spend there. They didn't know who I was. Okay, if I was going to throw good, they would have kept me. If I was going to throw bad, they had to keep me for a minimum of 30 days. So I went back to AAA. I got pitcher of the year that year in AAA, actually, and uh, I finished 16-6. And, and so, anyway, which was funny, uh, and then I came out back at the, you know, you had the, you know, the call-up at the end of the year, September yeah. call-up. And so I got called up. And then I went to Puerto Rico. And so I got in 300-plus innings, and I had to have surgery the next year. So, so much for pitch counts. We didn't know what pitch counts were back then. Yeah, yeah, we do so, now. Um, they're good too yeah. overall. They they keep the arms yes. healthy, especially on the on the little ones. But I, I have a question about your parents, yes. um, if I can. Yes. Um, yes. What did they do on your debut pitching moment, June fourteenth, nineteen seventy three, in Baltimore? That's got to be a cool moment for parents. Well, they flew in, you know, and the, and they uh, and they saw it, and, and your uh, brother. I was really. I was so I was so very happy about that. My brother did not fly in, but my my mom and dad did. And then uh, the fun thing was is uh, my mom was a registered nurse for 53 years, so anybody that needed sewing up or any medicine, she basically took it back from the hospital and helped a lot of people. And then oh, my good. dad was you know shot like I said in in the Marines over in Korea, but he was a farmer. So everything was yes sir, no sir coming out of my brothers and my our mouth. And uh but uh it was it was uh, you know quite a sight to have your parents at that first game and or any game. 
the only game that my mother ever missed was probably the very first one when I was six years old. She was staying at home keeping Eric, who was a year younger than me, my brother, and he ended up catching me, and he got drafted twice, and then he played Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, Eric and I were really funny together because if an umpire wasn't calling something right, he'd, he'd miss one once in a while, and <laughs> he you know, <laughs> Straightening that far out, you know. So, <laughs> so, you know, one of the one of the fires, he, he got knocked back a couple of feet and he went down and and then he came up and he said, you, you do. He said some different words that I'm going to say. You do that such and such again, I'm going to kick your ass out. And and Eric said, <laughs> you're not going to kick me out. I'm the only guy that can catch him. <laughs> and so, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too fast that velocity, but his hand hurt yeah. from that because that's some velocity probably even at that young age. If you can pitch ninety-five miles an hour, what at yeah. what age you could pitch that at a high school, right? Is that what you're like that? Oh, that, at a high school, I'd probably around ninety. You know, I probably got up to cool. ninety-six to ninety-eight was where I kind of plovered around, and then I had a hard slider that was pretty good. And uh, that's neat. But you know, uh, the the fun thing was uh, there's a story in there called Blue Angel, the one I think you're going to want to put up. It's about mm-hmm. me really knocking an umpire out in triple A, and it's like for real. And, you know, the, the catcher turns around, and he says, hey, look at him, he's a snow angel. But this is before the other two umpires got up there coming down the lines. I said, no, he's not, he's a blue angel. Exactly. The hitter, the catcher knew, for a long time, I said, he's not going to swing. He never swings at first pitch anyway. I'll take care of him. He was 6'6". His name was Rose Kidmore, blonde hair, blue eyes. He bumped, and Dennis Pappy bumps into him. He says, hey, let the first one go. And he says, hey, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even shoot me a fastball sign. He he gave me the back of his glove and the back of his hand like he was backing up a truck, you know. He says, hey, let's go. (laughs) So, So I just kind of reared back and, he said, he said, just aim for my mask. And he said, just, he says, let it go. He says, let it go. And I said, okay. So I, I, I shot it right at his mask. It went between his glove and his mask and hit the guy right underneath the mask. And we thought he was going to Ouch. We thought the catcher was going to get kicked out. We thought Pappy was going to get kicked out, but it knocked the guy out. <laughs> so, oh, I bet. Yeah. need a neck, buddy. That hurt. That looks like that always just hurts. Just flat out yeah, hurt. Well, it's a, it's cringe. even funny because I had to call the guy the next day. But it's, it's a why? Funny story. Why'd you have to call him? <laughs> well, I'll put it up on the. I can put it up on the website, but no. Did, well, because yeah, the, you want to say? Because the 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 manager who who really liked me, but looked he just looked exactly like Barney Fife. I'm not kidding you. And he said. Uh, maybe some of your people know who Barney Fife is. But anyway, he looked just like Barney Fife. He did not want to mess with Pappy the catcher because he looked, when he took his mask off, he'd say, put it back on, you look better. So anyway, <laughs> and Pappy was kind of, he was really mean. And I was 20 years old. He was 29. And he said, and, you know, Harry didn't say anything the first time when they were dragging the umpire off the field. We had a break right there so they could get, you know, everything back under. And the ambulance came. Ambulance came. And so anyway, wow. The second time I came in off the field, when we got the third out, because we had two outs when this happened, Harry said, country. And I said, I said, yeah. He said, I said, yeah, Harry. And he said, did you mean to hit George on purpose? And I said, no, no, sir, sure didn't. He said, well, that's all I wanted to know. In other words, he didn't want to deal with Pappy. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love I love all the stories. It's 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 cool to hear all the ins and outs of all of it. It's pretty neat. But um I hope everybody reads the book. I know we've got like five minutes left. Um and I wanna just make sure everybody goes to Amazon or goes to their bookstore and, and grabs a copy of On the Eighth Day God Made Baseball. But I also wanna ask you, um, just from a just from a pure like mom point of view interviewing you, you know, just not not as clued in about baseball as you are. Is there anything like I haven't asked you that I should ask so that um, you know, if something else you want to say or or anything like that? Because it's a this is a really cool book and it's it's you know a joy in a moment to be able to have you on here. So I just want to. Well, I th- Elizabeth, I think uh, you know I'm dealing with a lot of uh, young parents, and actually I'm dealing with a lot of single moms too, and uh, it's tough for them. Uh, a lot of single moms coming out. And uh, it seems to me like there's, in the state where I'm, oh, well, it's everywhere. There's a, there's a little bit of politics here and there. And then there's, you know, then they have, uh, I guess, uh, delusional parents, I, you might want to say sometimes. I guess that's an interesting word. Not all parents are delusional. Of, well, my son there's quite a few. Yeah, there is. I mean, I'm putting it lightly. You know, yeah, uh, I mean, well, I mean, I have a rule. My first rule, if I have 14 new moms on the field, is I'll say, oh, before before game starts, come by bench, pick up Valium from me, take immediately. Should game, should game go into extra innings, please leave. So, <laughs> exactly. So it's worn off. So they won't be climbing the screens, you know. Exactly. But, the dads as well. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know they're always over in the corner looking at this and that and and then they get the ump you know the yell at the umpires. I've seen I've seen I've seen all that stuff. I mean it's kind of like you shake oh, your yeah. head and and uh, and you, it's just that you know you know let, let, sometimes you know let your son make a decision once in a while or you know uh, because you know he knows where he really wants to go. You, you, I'll hear it on the bench and and they'll say. You know, I really don't want to be here. It's just that my parent, my 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 dad wants me to be here. That's the only reason I'm here. I said, do you want me to square that up with your dad and make you look good? Because you know, you know, it's just you know, you don't, you don't need to force anybody into anything if they don't want to do that. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, I completely agree. We see it all the time. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, what, my, brother, what about your brother? my brother did not want to play professional baseball. I called him when he got drafted the second time. I said, I said, Eric, are you going to sign? He said, I mean, I called him and said, hey, he got drafted. He said, yeah. He's, he's, my brother's really funny. And I said, are you going to sign? He paused. And he, he, he's got a degree. He wants to marry Susan. He wants to have two kids. And he does exactly that. And so he says, that's a bunch of crap what you do, by the way. He said another word. But – and. And I said, I started laughing. I said, yeah. He says, I want to marry Susan. I have two kids. So one of his kids is an occupational therapist. The other one teaches engineering at Ohio University and uh, has his doctorate. And, you know, everything worked out good, man. It, it, you know, it, it's a wonderful life. Uh, you know, one of my agent buddies kind of read the book, and he, uh, he read both books, and he said, your, 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 your style and the way you are of your life is it's kind of like a wonderful life. And I said, yeah, I mean, but you're going through all these problems, you know, and these issues and these tragic moments, and how are you trying to pull yourself back out? You know, it's kind of like Bailey's savings alone. You know, what yeah. was he trying to do? He was trying to pull himself up out of this. And I think other people, there's some really, really good people out here 
that actually really are in your corner and you know you know and they will give you the time of the day you know they really really will help you and uh there 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 are, there are some good people out there i know the world is in a little turmoil and we we're, we're uh when I started uh, this whole world of baseball, it was 160,000 in 1970, uh, 160 uh, million rather. I'm sorry. Now we have 320, so it's doubled. So it's it is. It's a changing and a different world, and so we have to learn to adapt to change. And I think it's uh, sometimes a little bit hard, but if you if you you know write your goals down, you write your plan out, and you see an avenue and a path, and you. Uh, see the right people and you uh, try to reach the right people, I think those people are out there to help you. I really yeah, do. Yeah, I agree. There's yeah. There's some good people. Yeah, so, I think surround yourself are. with love. I always say that. Surround yeah. yourself with love and you may have to purge. You may have to weed through people a little bit. You may have to ignore family <laughs> at moments. You know, there's a right. lot of stuff exactly. that goes on. Um, to, yeah. You know, if you've got a vision and a plan for yourself, you know, you you definitely got to surround yourself with the right people. Um can we go? Do you have a little bit more time, or do you need to go? Because uh, we're sure. in record mode. No, um, no, no. But I, I. But the thing about the percolate, when I started getting into reading, it was very easy right out of the shoot to, to get into it, which I liked, because. Thank you. Uh, you know, there's there's some so many books that I, you know, you know, people say, oh, it's a good book, and then I get into it and I say, mm, mm, drags, and you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And, but uh, you were hitting on a lot of the things that I had. Uh, to filter and get into my uh, uh, my aura here to say what's going to filter into me the right way. I mean, yeah. I, we're, we're all still doing that on a daily basis. You know, uh, you know, changes is, is an everyday occurrence. So I think it's in, important. It's like uh, there's a thing called SISTA, which uh, which which I do right now, and uh, and, that, and that's kind of been an interesting. Uh, it's just an interesting area to work in. Uh, it's basically uh, an online thing for learning for for kids. It's a career in sports development. It's uh, that's oh, a good neat. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, who, who who would ever imagine? If you know me well enough, who would ever imagine Mark Latell teaching an online uh, computer course uh, to a group of of, of kids? <laughs> so yeah. and, and and hold their attention, you know. But I actually would. See, now I would think that just hearing you and, and yeah, that's totally you. Now you can hear that about you. That's truly, I think, what you love. Um, You know, if I, if just put my life coach hat on for a minute and wear that for a second, totally that's you. Uh, Everything about you from the second you stop playing yourself is all about coaching. And then, and I think you've developed it into what you truly love which is sifting through interesting parents to get to the ones that really want to be there and, um, and, and teaching them, you know, and, and really fostering the ones that, you know, you see talent in or the right energy or whatever it is. And, and you might have to sift through that crowd a little bit, um, you know, because not everybody's going to hear your message the same way for sure. I've learned that through, through almost everything I've ever done in my life is people perceive you and interpret you different than sometimes how you want to be um, negative and positive. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But no, I totally see that in you. That's very cool. And I love that. That's my favorite thing about people right there. You just nailed it. My favorite thing is when somebody's done something completely 
you know, you've succeeded. You've been a professional baseball player. You did this really cool thing. And then you turn around and you give back your knowledge to, to kids. I mean, it's priceless. There's no number you can put on that because you, you change lives and you may not know it for a bunch of years. Even Um, somebody may say 25 years down the road, you know, that moment I really needed you and you completely changed my world and life um, just by being there for me at just, the power of it is so cool. And you know what you're doing. I just, I love that. Sorry. <laughs> so much I love uh, to go on. So the, the person that is, you know, the one that is uh, a little bit hard to uh, reach out to or these people that don't give you the time, have the answers, yeah. you know, they've accomplished something and that might be the, their first big accomplishment and they haven't, had they've had a lot of failure but now they've had some big success and they don't want to go back to failure but you know people people succeed they fail they succeed they fail they they can bounce back up and down this scale you know and they do that because they want to learn because yeah you know when you learn you're you're going to have a lot of failure (laughs) and it's okay to fail it's you know but it's uh because you, you got to learn from those things. And people say, oh, well, I hear that crap all the time. I learn from your failures. Well, you're, you're not really listening then. So you have to become a better listener. And that's one thing that I had to do because if you're talking, then you're not listening. So you have to let that kid talk to you. So, well, hey, what's going on? Something, something wrong? He says, eh. Well, let's go down my let's go down to the infancer. Just tell me what's going on. And so he'll he'll, he'll spurt it out and I said, Well, okay. I said, you know, so you kinda of, you know, tell me tell me a little bit more, you know. And then I'll say, Well, what about this? And so you, you get into a dialogue and you, he he's gonna end up talking the most and you know, you want him to anyway, because that's one thing I think adults don't do. They don't listen sometimes and let the kids talk from a coaching standpoint especially they tell them how to do it, and there is more than one way to skin a cat. There is more than one way to do do something. So, yeah. um, you know, there's 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 uh, there's things that you uh, you know want to pick up on you know, little bitty things. It's uh, yeah. So those are hard. Those are hard to pick up on. And you know, when you're in baseball and you're picking up on the the, the really minuscule uh, parts and breakdown of the mechanics and you know, you know what, what's going on in, in your head between the lines, right there. Uh, there's there, there's there's so much out there. Uh, yeah. it, it's the whole world. It's it's no 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 matter what you do, no matter what you do. So, but the yeah, no the other thing you touched on, I want to go back and then we'll we'll wind up if we can. Um, yeah, I agree on the listening thing. I I always work on that because I'm I am an, just I always have to work on listening because I'm. I talk and listen and talk and I'm better when like I can actually see somebody while I'm talking to them because I can Mm -hmm. see when you stop and, and yeah, and pause and things like that. But the, so go back to the parents for one second, because I think it's a really big point about um, any kind of show related to sports, because it seems like so many people live vicariously through their kids, Uh, especially at sports. I mean, I see, um, I just, 
yeah, I sort of feel like, wow, we're still standing after all that. <laughs> you know, we have a moment, we have a moment where we're at the college and we're like, wow, that was a crowd to sift through. And, and you can tell some of the people are still doing it. And we've always just sort of been pretty grateful. You know, we sit back and we're like, okay, they're going to, our kids, all four of our kids are very different kids. And all of them can, can play baseball. One of them has chosen to truly love baseball. Um, and the other, the younger one loves track, loves, loves, loves track. And it's very fast. Um, and, um, but I guess the point is, well, is at no point in sex, you're a professional athlete. I've got two, I've got two college teams and, uh, you know, and I have an 18 and a 16 back in Phoenix. And uh, the one thing you sit there and you look at is, I'm constantly stressing right now because I do talk to a lot of college coaches. I really, really do. And they'll call me or I'll call them where I'm trying to get, you know, one of my players out of junior college into a four-way fix or get a high school kid into whatever situation he needs to be in. And it's, it's, it's really interesting sitting there trying to get these kids uh, in, in the right uh, arena. And uh, the other thing is, they need to think of themselves more as student athlete versus an athlete student because yeah. there's so many kids that say, oh, I'm a, I'm a baseball player. I can go play baseball at this college. Well, what about your grades? Because they, they put their grades last, and that's the first thing that a college coach asks me is he's going to say, hey, Mark, what's his GPA? He, he knows me already, and I already know what he's going to ask me. Hey, Mark, what's his GPA at a high school or whatever? I'll say he's got a two eight. Well, what's his SAT or ACT? I said, well, I think his ACT was this. I don't know about his SAT. Right. Because <clears throat> the last thing they want is they don't want they they don't want a liability. They 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 don't want somebody that is not going to be eligible. You know, in the fall in the spring to play. You know, so uh, that that's the one thing. The second thing is is that you know is this is this guy burned out or does he have passion for the game does he have some has he, does he have desire you know i look at attitude desire ability and passion you know not in any particular order but you know you have to have that right attitude you have to have the desire to play you have to have the skill level to play also uh uh you know at, at whatever level you're going to stop at but you have to have passion, you know, to, to endure all the, these things that are going to hit you right in the face uh, and deal with them. And um, it, it's just, it's going, yeah. to, it's, going to, it's going to bounce off you. And, uh, but, you know, you've got, you've got the school, you've got uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, the level that the kid can play in and how much passion does he have to, can, can he endure this whole thing? So, yeah. I think that those are good. That's, I'm going to close on that because I actually think those are four really good things for life. Baseball, no baseball, yeah. whatever sport it is, whatever job it is, career it is, hobby it is, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Attitude. Which I wrote it down, actually. Attitude, desire, ability, and passion. So yeah. hopefully you have that in your next book or you already have it in there. <laughs> That'll be the third one, actually. Third book. There yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Third book will probably be Country Boy, uh, you know, uh, What's Up Ramrod with a question mark. <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with me. It was so fun to have you on the show and so fun to just, you know, what a moment. And it's, it's just cool to 
to be able to have you here. So good luck with your book yeah. and good luck with everything that you're doing. And I, I don't think you need my good luck wishes you're already doing. So, but um, I just, uh, yeah, no, you're super welcome, but thank you. I think the thanks goes in your court. Um, everybody listening, um, please go to marklittell.com. It's M-A-R-K-L-I-T-T-E-L-L.com. There's a cool thing on his website. When you go there, you can actually get a free chapter of his book, which is on the eighth day God made baseball. And you can get his book wherever books are sold. You can grab it on Amazon, uh, which is easy right now. They've got a lot of shipping options and things are discounted and I think Amazon's on fire right now um, with with the holidays. So um, great little stocking stuffer, I think. Um, and uh, just thanks thanks for sharing all your stories and a lot more in the book. But um, for touching on some of them, it's really fun to have some some insight into into the world and some. Um, aside from baseball, though, I just I really love just all your stories about life. I think it's cool, and I hope you come on again um, and talk more. Elizabeth, I've enjoyed the visit. Uh, we'll 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 stay in touch, and and uh, I think everybody yeah. knows uh, that to look up the word Boot Hill. Where is Boot Hill? So I guess it's uh, yeah, go look up to the Missouri map and see that Boot Hill hanging. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. Hopefully your coffee's not cold because I know I don't know about you, but mine is untouched because we were talking and listening yeah. the whole time. <laughs> so yeah. right. I think I'm right. gonna have a new cup. Well, that, that, that means it was a good visit. That was good. exactly. <laughs> All right, thank you so right. much. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And um, you too, thank you everybody. And to your audience, yes. Okay. Thank you. All right, Bye-bye. take care everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com.